It really took a lot longer in these verses than I anticipated. And, uh, but, but these really are very difficult issues for us to apply in life. And as we have seen, uh, there are uh, fine lines of distinction we have to draw. And, and uh, those are challenging for us, too, to kind of think through uh, as we go through them. Um, we are in Romans 12. Uh, we uh, last week we looked at verses 17 and 18, and tonight today we're going to pick up with verse 19 through verse 21. And uh, as I uh, as I indicated last week, uh, these these verses, particularly 17 through 21, have to do primarily chiefly with the uh, just the subject of how we relate to other people when they do us wrong. And, uh, and it is a very challenging passage because the Lord requires of us things here which are totally counterintuitive. <laughs> if I can use that term. Uh, they are things which, as people pointed out last week, can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. We just can't do it ourselves. And we have to be able to draw important distinctions. We have to show discernment because there is a, there's a difference between how we deal with wrongs that happen to us personally, things that people do to us personally, and how we deal with wrongs within society and how we deal with wrongs if we're in a position of authority. And uh, so uh, those are entirely different issues, as we'll see when we get to chapter 13, because Paul begins to deal in chapter 13 with the subject of authority and how does authority deal with wrong. And those are entirely different subjects. Uh, And so it requires discernment, particularly for those of us who are in positions of authority, whether as parents over children or as employee uh, employers over employees or maybe even a position of government or police or things like this. Uh, that brings up other issues of dealing with wrongdoers uh, than we're dealing with in chapter 12. And so we have to kind of keep going back and making those distinctions and keeping that in mind. But last week, as I said, we did talk about verses 17 and 18. So what do you remember uh, are some of the things we discussed last week in those verses? We talked about how much it is in our nature to Smack them one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the way we respond naturally. It's our gut reaction. We're going to talk, as I mentioned last week. There seems to be a little bit of difference between what he's talking about in verse 17, where he says, "Never pay back evil for evil," and what he says in verse 19, when he says, "Never take your own revenge." Uh, there, there is a, a nuance of difference there that we'll get into today. But last week we were focusing just on that tit for tat, that just that gut reaction of somebody does us wrong. You know, somebody, you know, our, our spouse says something to us that, that we, we take as, uh, uh, as being something they shouldn't have said to us. And instead of just shutting our mouths and we want to, we want to respond back. We want, we want to lash out with our tongue back at them. Or uh, if our neighbor, uh, <coughs> our neighbor does something uh, untowards us, then uh, 
then then we're inclined to want to tip over their trash can or whatever to retaliate. It's just a gut reaction. Okay. So uh, what else did we talk about last week? Talks a little bit about what is right in the sight of all men. That there are people that can be very off the path, but they still know right and wrong. Yeah. And if you do something wrong, they recognize. Yeah. 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 And uh, and and we have a classic example of that. We is trying to take his uh, position of king, which of course David was not intending to do. It was not he was going to leave it up to God, but Saul is pursuing David, and David continually responds righteously rather than retaliating against Saul. And at one point, Saul says to David, "You are more righteous than I. You've been more righteous than I." Didn't change Saul's behavior. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't stop pursuing David. He didn't stop trying to kill David. But he recognized that David was in the right and he was in the wrong. And so, so it behooves us uh, to, uh, as Paul says here, to always think about, before we act, to think, because the word there, to respect or have regard for what's right inside of all men, really is the word to, to think before. It's actually related to the word foreknowledge that we're familiar with. And uh, so the idea is to think before. So think before you act. What is right in the sight of all men? And that's what you need to take into consideration. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Misunderstandings about that? And... Uh, what do you have in mind? We did talk about it. Well, if I were more immature and I meet someone who has some wrong belief, but they believe it really strongly, I might think this verse is saying, well, I should respect yeah. that yeah. and just say, yeah. well, that, maybe yeah. that's right. Yeah. Actually, we drew a distinction because it seems like on the surface, when you just casually look at the verse, it seems like Paul's contradicting what he said in, in earlier in chapter 12, where he says, do not be conformed to the world. And what's interesting, I pointed out, is that is that here in verse uh, 17, uh, Paul doesn't use the word world. He talks about all men. So he doesn't use the pejorative term world that represents kind of this evil age. So it's not that we're conforming to the evil age, but we are we are cognizant of, we think about the consciences of men and we seek not to offend the consciences of men, okay? Which we know, of course, conscience is not an infallible thing, but, but all men have a conscience. And uh, as we had an ex- example, is of course, Saul. And we have other examples in Scripture, of course. Uh, and, and other examples of this principle in Scripture. So... So it's not that we are conforming ourselves to the corruption of the world, but we are rather giving thought to the fact that God has placed in all men a sense of what is right. And and so we want to give thought to that before we act, before we respond, particularly when we've been wronged. 
So when I've been wronged, before I respond, I want to think before I act. And one of the things I want to think about is what is right in the sight of, quote, all men? What is, what is the conscience of men? Does that help clarify kind of what we talked about? Okay, good. All right. That's correct. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's correct. Okay. Well, let's go on then. Let's pick it up in verse 19. He says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay. Well, uh, as I said, there seems to be a just a nuance of difference here between verse 19 and verse 17. Okay. And verse verse 17 is just the idea of evil for evil. Okay. But verse 19 introduces a a little bit different thought or idea because the word revenge there uh, or vengeance as is used later in the verse uh, carries with it the sense of justice. Okay, so it's introducing the the element of of seeking justice. So, for example, when you have two little kids and and one kid walks up and smacks, uh, you know, kid A smacks kid B, you know, then kid B, you know, kid B doesn't have to think about it. You know, they don't have to think about it. They just turn around and smack back. Okay, it's not a question of justice. It's not a question of of right and wrong. It's just a question of I got smacked and I'm smacking back. Okay, it's just tit for tat. Okay, that's the idea of verse 17. Okay, but verse verse 19 carries with it the idea of the justification that we make when we respond to evil. And and so so and so does something to me and I respond back with the justification that this is justice. Okay. now justice is a biblical principle, right? Justice is a good thing. We want justice. Okay. and there's a great deal in Scripture about the concept and the idea of justice. And so one of the things that we can do when we've been wrong, is we can do something back at the other person and we justify it as being just getting justice. Okay, this person deserves to receive this from me because of what they did. And, and we can we say, can we use this? We sanctify our retaliation with the idea of justice. Okay. But as I said, justice is a biblical principle. Its scriptures are full of the idea of justice. You know, the very doctrine of hell is founded on the principle of justice, right? So, so justice, is a, justice is an idea that runs throughout Scripture. So, so what is it that Paul is telling us? Or what is it the Holy Spirit is telling us when he tells us not to take our own revenge? Is he saying, is he dismissing the idea of justice? Well, obviously he's not. Okay. But what he's saying is, it's not your job. It's not your prerogative. So he says, never take your own revenge. 
You never react and do something back at another person because they've done something to you. You never do that. Ever. He says never. Okay. And we stressed that last week. That when he says never take your own or never uh, pay back evil for evil to anyone, and we stress that there is never a time in which it is right to pay evil back to somebody. Similarly, there is never a time when it is right for you to take revenge. Okay. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit later. That is not to say that it's never right for justice to be done on your behalf. Okay. That's another issue. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Okay. But it is never right for you or me to take justice into my own hands when I have been personally wrong. Again, we're talking about personal wrongs here. We're not talking about uh, evil within society. We're not talking about situations of, of authority. Uh, we're not talking about situations of, of uh, government and citizens or employers and employees. We're not talking about that kind of situation. We're talking about situations where I have been personally wronged. So we have to... We have to make distinctions. So, for example, if I'm a parent, I'm in a position of authority, right? And if my child mouths off to me, you know, says something nasty to me, or I have, I have to think. I have to make a discernment. I have to react as one who is in authority. Okay? I have to act as one who's in authority and deal with the child as one who's in authority. And simultaneously, I have to be careful not to react as one who's taking it personally. Because if I'm taking it personally I'm a, and, and reacting out of a personal offense, then I'm violating this passage of Scripture. But if I respond as one who's in authority, not taking it personally, it makes it, it, it for one thing, it kind of diffuses the situation. It helps me deal with it a little more rationally. And then I'm acting according to Romans 13. OK, so this so so the point is we have to make some fine distinctions here. We have to keep some important distinctions in mind. But when it comes to being personally wrong, it is never right for me. To take it upon myself to secure justice for myself. Never take your own revenge, he says. So, he tells us then, he says, you don't take your own revenge. And what's the reason? What's the overriding reason here why we don't take our own revenge? Okay, he says, leave room for the wrath. Now, you'll notice in your Bible there, probably the words of God are in italics, meaning it's not really in the original. But most commentators, and I think they're right on this, assume that that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the wrath of God because he goes on immediately in the next sentence and quotes from the Old Testament the reference about God's uh, vengeance. So, So the idea is we leave room... For the wrath of God. Okay. Now, last week we had a little incident. We had a little interaction here between Ron and, and Hal last week. And, uh, 
And uh, Ron said something, and then Hal reacted, and I said, now, that's a great illustration I'm going to use later today. Well, I never got to it, but I'm getting to it now, okay? So if you can, if those of you were here, Ron said something, and it was one of those kind of situations where you could just imagine a, light, a bolt of lightning coming down out of heaven and zapping him for what he said, right? And so Hal was over here, and he moved over towards Debbie, and he said, I'm getting away from Hal, you know? Well, what, was, what was he doing? He was leaving room for the wrath of God, okay? <laughs> so I imagine that when I read this verse, leave room for the wrath of God. Okay, we've oftentimes done that. Somebody's done something or said something, and in jest we've kind of moved away. I'm getting away from you, you know, because God's wrath is about to come down. I don't want to get caught up in it. Okay, and uh, so uh, of course, uh, obviously, we we do that in, in jest somewhat, and uh, as it was done last week. But but I kind of imagine that kind of a situation. When somebody has done me wrong, what my inclination is, what my natural reaction is, is I want to get right in there and I want to fix them. Yeah? I want to, I want to do justice and I want to make it right and I want to get right in the middle of it, right? And, and Paul pre- presents this picture to us of just backing off, get away. <laughs> Leave room for the wrath of God. Now, there's a couple ways to think about this. I, what I, what I, in, in past, oftentimes when I thought about this verse, what I thought maybe what Paul was saying here and the idea was that is that if I take my own revenge, if somebody wrongs me, if David here does something to me, and so I, uh, I say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, make him pay because he's done me wrong, so I'm gonna make him pay. Okay, and if I do that. If I execute justice on David for whatever he did to me, whether it's something he said or, you know, or whatever he did, ran over my dog or whatever, you know, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna get even with. I don't have a dog. And I'm gonna get even with him, okay? Um, <laughs> okay. And I do that. Now, what does God do? Because you see, I've interfered. I've already decided what justice is and I've applied justice. I've already done some evil back to David. Okay. That's a very good example of that because as right, I mean, one of the blessings of having more than one child is... Along with the curses. <laughs> more than one time, one of the phrases in our house is one of them does something to the other one. Not your children. No, no, no. Not anymore. Just yeah. Hypothetical. <laughs> but we would, one of them would all of a sudden pipe up, yeah, because. Yeah. And our statement to them is remain blameless. Yeah, yeah. Because they're about to step into it, and when they do, they know that now, yeah. both of them yeah. Well, and, and what happens, the idea, I think, a little bit is what happens is. If I've already applied some discipline myself to the situation, then what are God's prerogatives? You see, I've interfered. I've gotten in the way. And so now God is, can I use this term in, in one sense? God is somewhat limited in what He can do because I've interfered. So, so the idea is back off. Leave room for the wrath of God. Now, that's one way I've thought of it. I, I, I'm not sure that that's exactly what Paul had in mind. Uh, but that is something to think about. Would I rather... Oh, excuse me, just a second. Okay. Would I rather that this person experience justice from me 
or would I rather they experience it from God? I don't think okay. that's the question. For most of it, it's the quickness of it. Okay, well, now that's an issue too. Okay, uh, but go ahead, Mike. Well, I was going to say too, I think part of the problem too is we don't, our sense of justice is skewed. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that at, at some depth. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, so, so that's one thought is if I get involved, you know, it, 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 it interferes with God's ability in one sense. God's prerogatives, if we could say, are somewhat restricted because I've already applied some evil to that person. So what is left for God to do or how is God going to correct the person now that I've interfered and and as Mike pointed out and we'll talk about it in a minute we usually mess it up okay so now God has to correct my mistakes as well as do what he wants to do okay so it's better if I just back off it's better if I just leave room and let God take care of it okay but but the other idea and 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 I think more this is the idea uh, probably that Paul had in mind is the idea that we get, we talked about with Jesus last week, what Peter says there in 1 Peter 3. He says that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he was mistreated, he did not utter threats. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. So what we see with Jesus is that when he was reviled and when he was mistreated, he didn't take his own justice. He could have. He was God. One passage about him calling down a legion of angels. He could have done that, but he didn't. He backed off and he left room for God to act. He left room for his father to act. That's the pattern for us. When someone wrongs me, instead of me saying, okay, now I need justice here, and so I'm going to make sure I get it, and I'm going to step in, and I'm going to exact the justice myself, because God's always slow at... you notice how God's always slow at justice? <laughs> you know, he's, I mean, He's not always slow. You know, Sometimes it happens right away, but in our judgment, He's invariably slow. And we get really frustrated when we see somebody who's wronged us go on for weeks, and then months, and then years... And they just don't seem to, there doesn't seem to be any justice. And we don't understand. And we go, God, you know, since you're not going to do it, I'm going to take care of it. Ron. The, the other thing is, what if, for example, Joseph had taken the deal? Yeah. He would have messed up anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the person who seems to be your enemy and is creating chaos, he may be there for a purpose and you have to let that work out. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and we love reading the story of Joseph, don't we? We just don't want to be Joseph, right? So beautiful story, just as long as I'm not in his place. But if I'm in his place, I'm going to take more revenge. Rick, there's another. Maybe you're getting to this. I don't don't know. I think in the bigger context of the passage, he's talking about love. Yes. And in verse 18, he's talking about being a peace with all men. Yeah. If I take my own revenge, I'll block yeah. the ability for me to be yeah. useful with that yeah. I am, yeah. show love to them, yeah. and that's probably the most difficult way to love someone. Yeah. They wrong me, but I'm going to be a piece of love in any yeah. way, and I think that's where God can really work with that. Yeah. And yeah. when He's showing, when He's making justice happen, 
that is one of the things he uses. Yeah, yeah, and we're, we're of course, going to get get into all that. Yes, good, but that's a good point. Good point. So the point is then that that we don't take justice because it's not our prerogative. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Okay. Now, I want you to notice something that Paul does here. And I didn't make a big thing out of it when I first looked at the passage, but I kept the commentators kept mentioning it. And I kept going, well, yeah, maybe. But you notice how he says it? He says, never take your own revenge. What? Beloved. Never take your own revenge, beloved. One of the reasons that after it's been so long since I've been wronged and God hasn't straightened things out, one of the reasons I feel inclined to straighten the situation out is because I've forgotten that I'm loved. I've forgotten that God loves me. And so I just think it, 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 didn't, it, didn't, it was no issue to God that I was hurt. It was no issue to God that I was injured, that I was wrong. But God loves us. And if His justice seems to be delayed, if it seems to be slow, remember you are beloved. That when you were wrong, when you were hurt, God was hurt. Remember what Jesus said? If you've done it unto the least of one of these, my children, you've done it unto me. So when I've been wronged, I'm not the only one who's felt it. God has felt it. And I need to keep that in mind when it's been a few years since I've been wrong and it still hasn't gotten straightened out. I need to remember God loves me. Okay? So never take your own revenge, beloved but leave room for the wrath of God because it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, say the Lord. Now, the question that I wrestled with as I've been thinking about this passage the last two or three weeks is why does God reserve the prerogative for himself? You know, I mean, okay, he wants to take revenge. And he doesn't want me to have it. But does he really have a good reason for that? Or is he just being territorial? <laughs> okay. Does he have a good reason? Why? And maybe if I could understand some of the reasons why God says, don't you do that, you leave it up to me. If I understood some of the reasons why, maybe it would help me not to jump in there and take my own revenge. Yeah. Kind of up in the ante like like we said, yeah. Well let's think about it in this order. The first thing is if it's God's and he says it's me, well what about God? What is God like? Well, one of the things we know is God's omnipotent. He can do anything he wants to do, right? With, with, with anything that's logically possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have a sin nature. Okay, we'll get to that. Okay, so the first thing is he's omnipotent, so he can do it. It's not he's it's not he's unable to do justice. 
So if, if it hasn't happened yet, it's not because he can't do it. He is omnipotent. He's not only omnipotent, he's omniscient. He fully understands the situation. You don't. But he understands the whole ball of wax. And God is perfectly just. He doesn't just up the ante type of thing. Okay? You know, he, he, he's totally just. One of the things we struggle with in, in, in our judicial system, because we're humans and because we're finite, we have, the, we have two stages in a, in a criminal trial, Right? You have the, stale, the stage where you determine the guilt, right? And then what's the next stage? The sentencing stage. And when it comes to the sentencing stage, there's two things you have to, you, that, that the lawyers are, 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 are asked to, to present. There are two things they're asked to present during the sentencing stage. What are those two things? The severity of what they did. Okay. The severity. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So more than two things. Actually. Pardon? Oh, well, that's already determined. The guilt or innocence is already determined. In the sentencing stage, one of the things that you bring up is you bring up mitigating circumstances and aggravating circumstances, right? And the reason we do that is because, okay, we know he did it, but we still don't know what punishment is appropriate. And so we have to think about what are the mitigating circumstances? What are the things that would make us want to punish him less? And then what are the aggravating circumstances? What are the things that would require greater punishment? And then we have to balance those things. Of course, we're human, so we don't do a very good job of this. But we make an effort at it, okay? And we should, okay? We should, okay? But the nice thing about God is perfectly just, see? He knows all of that. He knows all the mitigating. He knows all the aggravating. He knows what will work and what won't work. You know, he knows what will bring repentance if repentance is possible. He knows all that stuff. So when God says you leave it to me, he's saying you leave it to me because I'm omnipotent and I'm omniscient and I'm perfectly just. I don't have a sin nature. I'm not reacting out of sinfulness or wickedness, but I'm reacting out of justice and goodness. Okay. so that's one reason. The other reason touches more on the things that that Mike was bringing up just a minute ago, and that is that invariably, and we see this all the time in our judicial system, of course, and I'm not to say we shouldn't have a judicial system. We'll get to that in Romans 13. But, on a personal level, we always make mistakes, don't we? So when somebody wrongs me, and I step in, and I'm going to, execute my own justice. I'm going to secure my own justice in this situation. I'm always going to make mistakes. And one of the mistakes that I commonly make when I do that is I'm focused on maybe one or two people or whatever, but there may be other parties involved. Maybe there's other people that are involved in this wrong that's been done to me and I don't have any idea that they're involved. That may be the difference where when we execute our judgment, all we're looking, like when you get back to the sentencing phase, uh, all we're looking at is the, the aggravating circumstances, yeah. not the mitigating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there may be other people involved, both in a positive or a negative way. And if I take my justice in, against this person, there may be people I've overlooked, either in a positive or a negative way that I should have thought about. Okay? God doesn't do that. God doesn't make that mistake. Okay? But I do, because I don't know. There are people, maybe. I'm not aware of. Uh, the other thing comes to this mitigating thing is maybe there's extenuating circumstances. 
you know, it's kind of like a situation where, you, you know, you're just kind of going through life during the day and you're in a store, or you're dealing with somebody at work or something and they and they and they do something really they shouldn't do whatever it is. You know, maybe they say something really harsh or whatever. And and you just react to what they said or what they've done. Because that's all you see. But you have no idea what happened in that person's life 15 minutes before. You have no idea what crisis. You, you, you have no idea. That person may have heard from their spouse that they're breaking up that day. That they're getting divorced. You don't know. Maybe they've just been diagnosed with cancer. This is all kinds of things back there. They don't, they don't justify the wrong, but they change our perception of it, don't they? And if we knew those things, maybe we would respond differently. Remember, I got a call one time from someone, uh, just friendly call. We we're just talking, chatting. And, but, but they were really upset about something that happened that day, something that somebody, some, uh, uh, someone who, who they had to relate to a lot. And, and this individual had, had really blown it in the performance of their job that day. They, they're typically very good at their job, but this day they'd really blown it. And the person I was talking to was very upset that this person was so, so irresponsible for not doing their job the way they should have done it. And I said, well, this, does he usually do it right? He's, yeah, and that, so that proves he, he knows how it should be done and he didn't do it. And I said, well, you know, Maybe he had a really bad day. Maybe there's, oh no, he just knew and he didn't do it. You know? And I'm going, there's extenu- there may be some, ex- yeah, maybe he's just being careless. Maybe he's just being, but maybe there's some extenuating circumstances. Maybe there's a reason there why this person who normally does a good job didn't do a good job that day and it affected you and bothered you. So, so there's other people involved we may not know about. There's extenuating circumstances that we don't know about. And then here's the touching one. Have you ever had somebody wrong you? You've been really wronged and you really would like to get even. <laughs> but opportunity doesn't present itself. And the time goes on. And, and maybe a few months or a few years later, you look back on it and you go, I had a hand in that. There were some things I said and some things I did that provoked that or added to it or exacerbated it. You see, in the heat of the moment, I'm not thinking about where was I wrong in this incident. And if I take my own revenge, I'm being a hypocrite because I was partly to blame. So, so there's this whole area of how we misperceive situations and why it's wrong for us to take our own revenge because we misperceive. We don't know who all's involved. We don't know the extenuating circumstances. And oftentimes we're overlooking our own culpability in what happened. Well, so there's one reason why God reserves the prerogative for himself is because God is God and the things we talked about God. And the second thing the second reason is because we make mistakes, the kind of mistakes we just talked about. And the third thing is, when we take our own revenge, almost always there's collateral damage, isn't there? 
Uh, I told you several weeks ago, I mentioned that I was uh, reading through. I'd never read it before, but I was reading uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. You know, for those of you that are familiar with the story, the guy is terribly wronged early in his life. He's, uh, he's thrown in a dungeon. He just lives in a dungeon uh, for uh, 13, 14 years, something like that. And then finally he manages to escape and become unbelievably wealthy. And he sets out to take revenge uh, on these people, three people who wronged him. But now it's many years later. And these people have, have gotten elevated positions in society and they've married and they've had children and this and it got the situation really complex so here he is he's wanting to take revenge on these three men who wronged him but now they have wives and in one case they're people a woman that he had loved and intended to marry and 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 so it all gets very complex and as he sets about then to take his revenge he has to deal with the issue of collateral damage we see the same, the same idea in the story of Ben-Hur, right? Ben-Hur sets out to take his revenge. And there's, and, and there's his family and these other people are being, are being impacted by his obsession with taking revenge. There's almost always collateral damage when we take our revenge. There's family members, there's children, there's parents, there's brothers, there's sisters. There's other people who get hurt when we take revenge. God is able to take vengeance with a surgeon's knife. But we do it with a bludgeon, don't we? We do it with a bludgeon and we don't care who gets hurt. And so there is oftentimes collateral damage. And then, and we brought this up last week, the fourth area, fourth reason we don't take our own revenge. Uh, we brought this up last week when we do evil for evil. What does it do? What, is it, what invariably happens when we do evil for evil? It escalates. It gets worse. So if I take my own revenge, then the person to whom I am doing that, they see who? Who do they see? They see me, don't they? And so their hostility and their anger is directed at me. So whereas they wronged me before, now they want to wrong me all the more, right? We've escalated the situation. But what happens if I leave room for the wrath of God? What happens if I just step out of the picture? And I say, okay, God, you take care of it. And so God waits. And He waits. And He waits. And about five years later, He acts. I'm completely out of the picture, aren't I? Then all their hostility has to be directed at God and they have to deal with God. But at least the hostility between that person and me has not been escalated. Okay. So four reasons, Atlanta, probably more, but there are four general reasons why I don't take my own revenge. One is because of God and who He is. Two is because I invariably make mistakes. We talked about different mistakes we make. Three is because of collateral damage. And four is because invariably it escalates the conflict. Yeah. Maybe one more. Great. I think, you know, sitting over here talking about we forget that God loves us, we also easily forget God loves that other person. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we don't want God to love the other person, (laughs) to be honest about it. Probably God's prerogative is he may not take out justice. He may show mercy because 
and we forget that and go, that's sure not fair, oh God, I knew if I left it up to you, you'd be repent, you'd be nice to him. And, and we think, Jonah all over again. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. While we were yeah. sinners, Christ died, while we yeah. were no enemies yeah. of God, he died for us. Well, if he called the 10,000 angels, we might not be saved. Yeah, yeah. So it, it might be that God's backing off is the fact that he wants to do a greater work to reconcile that person or somebody else rather than this exact justice at some time. But we want mercy for ourselves. Yeah. To get yeah. The well, let's think about it. Uh, let's think about it in these terms. God always takes justice. He always takes justice. But when he is extends mercy, it's because the justice fell where? On Christ. And here's, here's where it gets tough for me, folks. I'll be honest with you. Here's where, here's where it gets tough for me. When somebody really wrongs me, I don't want that justice to fall on Christ. I want it to fall on them. When somebody wrongs me and and it goes for months or weeks or years or long time, many decades, and, and, and God has not brought His justice down on them, am I willing to say, for that wrong they did to me, God, I'm willing for Your justice for that wrong to fall on Christ and not on them. It's harder than I could imagine to do that sometimes. It's harder, you know, to say, okay, God, I'm willing to have you forgive them because you have taken your vengeance on your son for what they did to me. Well, so now we know why God reserves it to himself. At least we know some of the reasons why God reserves the prerogative to himself. So the next time you're inclined to take your own revenge, and then you remember, it's not my job, it's God's, think about why. <laughs> I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> I'm going to hurt people that shouldn't be hurt. God can do a better job of this than I can do. <laughs> think about these reasons. Okay. But Paul doesn't stop here. Nor does Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't simply say, don't take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. What comes next? If your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him a drink. For in doing so, you heap burning coals upon his head. Okay, Lord, I understand that I'm not to take my own revenge. I understand I've got to leave justice up to you. So I'm going to back off. I'm going to get as far away from this person as I can get. I'm never going to talk to him again. I'm never going to do him again. I'm just going to wait for you to get him. But that's not my prerogative. 
That's not a door that's open to me, is it? He says, if my enemy is hungry, I am to feed him. You got any enemies? You got any enemies? We all have enemies at one point or another in our lives, right? Some of us more so than others, okay? Maybe that says something about us more than about them. But some of us have more enemies than others, but we've all had enemies and we'll have them again. And my obligation before Christ, when I see they're hungry, is to feed them. And when I see they're thirsty, is to give them a drink. So, instead of retaliating, instead of seeking justice, I leave room for the wrath of God. And instead, what I do is I consciously begin to think, what are their needs? What does that person need? I was thinking of an illustration. He says, how, how does this practically work out? So, so say, say there's somebody and you find out they've been gossiping about you behind your back. They've been talking you down. Okay. Well, if we do a pop psychology here, I hate pop psychology. We'll do a little bit of it here. Okay. Now, maybe the reason they're doing it is because they're insecure. People do that a lot. At least I hear. <laughs> you know, I, I've done it myself. Okay. We, we tend to talk other people down when we're insecure about ourselves, right? So, it, so, to lift ourselves up, we push everybody else down. That way we're on top, right? Okay. So, doing a little pop psychology here. If somebody is gossiping about me behind my back. So, I go, well, you know, maybe the problem is this person feels insecure about what they are. Maybe this is their hunger. Maybe this is their thirst. What can I do? Hmm? Pardon? Okay. In other words, build them up, right? Give them a trophy. There you go. You. So what happens if you have this person and you discover they've been gossiping about you behind your back? Okay. And the next time you're with them, with a group of other people, you just start praising them. You start talking to other people about how cool this person is or how good they are at this or good they are at that. You're feeding their hunger. You're quenching their thirst. Okay? That's just one little illustration. But in every situation where we're wrong, we have, where we are wronged, we have a, an obligation before Christ to look at that person and try to figure out what is their need. And meet that need. Now, what I like about the examples that Paul uses, hunger and thirst, is when he meets the need, the person knows the need's being met. So it's not something you do behind the scenes that the person doesn't know about. It's something you actually do where the person realizes you are loving them. God, that stuff's hard, isn't it? Isn't this stuff hard? I don't want to love my enemy. I don't. I don't want to love my enemy. I want God to zap them and for me just to walk on and just leave the ashes. Right? That's what I want. But that is not God. That is not what God did with me. 
And that's not what he expects me to do with my enemies. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. While that person is still your enemy, will you die for them? So, so, so I look for their need, I look for their hunger, I look for their thirst, and then I address myself to that. And in so doing, I am heaping burning coals upon their head. At which point we all go, huh? What does that mean? To be honest, we don't know. Okay? It's only used a couple times in Scripture. It's used in Proverbs, and then Paul quotes it here. So, uh, and, and there's no, we, we, don't have any, we don't have any other places in ancient history where we know this illustration. So we really don't know for sure what he means. Okay? So commentators kind of come up with several different ideas of what he might mean. And there's a couple of them that, that are pretty unsatisfactory to me. I don't, think they, I don't think they work. And then there's a couple that I kind of like. Okay? So I'll tell you what they are. One is, it's the idea, uh, some of them understand burning coals upon the head, is a reference to the idea that, that the psalmist communicates in Psalms where, the, where God rains down brimstone on the heads, on, or just rains down brimstone on the fire brimstone on the evildoers. Okay? And he talks about that in Psalms. Or, or you could think about Sodom and Gomorrah. <sighs> stuff coming down out of heaven, you're burning fire and stuff. Okay? And so the idea is that when I love my enemy who has wronged me, if I love them, what that does is that brings more judgment down on them because I'm loving them and, and they're not responding right and so God is judging them. So some of you people are shaking your heads. Why are you shaking your heads? You don't like that one? I don't like it either. Why don't you like it? Pardon? Well, it could happen to us. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Yeah. Okay. What else? It doesn't fit the context, does it? As Jim was pointing out earlier, the whole context of the passage is, is love, is blessing, not cursing, blessing those who persecute you, not cursing them, and, and not returning evil for evil. But, you know, so the whole idea is, is, so the idea of trying to make their judgment worse, it just doesn't fit with the context. I don't buy that. Okay. Uh, another way of uh, understanding the phrase is uh, somebody digging around in ancient history found this illustration back with the Egyptians that when somebody had done something wrong and then they wanted to show repentance, they would, they would take a, some kind of a vessel or whatever and fill it full of hot coals and put it on their head and walk through. So it's a sign of repentance. Okay. Supposedly. Okay. It's pretty obscure. It's pretty doubtful that when Proverbs was written that the readers of Proverbs really even knew anything about this Egyptian practice. Okay. It's, it's pretty obscure. And, and, the pro- and another problem with it is it seems to imply that if I love my enemy, he'll repent. Saul's a classic example. That is not necessarily the case. So we don't want to imply that if I love my enemy, I'm going to win them. I may not. Got a better chance than if I retaliate. But, but we can't take that as a guarantee. Okay. So a couple other explanations. Probably the most common explanation is just the idea, and we see this in the story of David and Saul, is just the idea that the burning coals are the shame that the person feels who has wronged us 
when we love them. Okay. Saul goes, you are more righteous than I. That sense of, okay, I hate this person. I'm, you know, I've done them wrong and I'm going to do them wrong again, but they keep loving me back, you know. And it, and it, and it pricks their conscience, okay. It creates shame. It creates this burning sense of shame. And so, that's probably the most common explanation for the phrase. But I came across another explanation that I think is pretty cool, too. And that is the idea that, that yes, the, 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 the idea of burning coals does communicate the idea of judgment. Okay. And so what, what he's really trying to say here is love is my revenge. That's the revenge that is my prerogative. When the person has wronged me, all that passion you feel, all that intensity of emotion you feel when you've been wronged and you want to do something to the other person, the only way you can vent that is through love. Now, that's pretty cool. I like that. Okay. But for the Christian, for the believer, the only revenge we have is love. When your enemy is hungry, you feed him. When he's thirsty, you give him a drink. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 21. Now remember last week, for those of you who are here, we said that really verse 21 is kind of a goal. When he starts out far back in verse 17, he's moving to verse 21. When I am done wrong, the end thing is that I want to not have been overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with it. Remember the question I asked you at the beginning of the week last week, beginning of last week's lesson? I said, how many of you really want good to triumph in your world? Yeah, And we all want good to triumph in our world, right? I want good to triumph in my world. Well, maybe not if this is how it happens. Do you want good to triumph in your world? You love your enemy. You don't take your own revenge. You don't pay back evil for evil. You're a peacemaker. You think about the things that are right in the sight of all men. That's how good triumphs in your world. You see, when somebody does me evil, he's doing me evil and he's just doing his thing. He's not in cahoots with Satan. But Satan's got a plan. Right? And Satan's plan is that he wants to take that evil that somebody did to me and he wants to use it to provoke me to do what? More evil. Right? If I take my own revenge, I've done evil. If I pay back evil for evil, I've done evil. If I'm not a peacemaker, I've done evil. Whatever is not as faith is sin. If I don't react in faith, I've done evil. And that's what Satan wants. So every time that someone does evil to me and I respond with evil or I respond taking my own revenge, I've been overcome by the evil. The evil that has been done to me has overcome me and caused me to do evil too. Don't be overcome by evil. You got an enemy today? Don't be overcome by evil. 
If you get an enemy tomorrow, don't be overcome by evil. If you got an enemy from a long time ago, and you're still trying to figure out how to get even, don't be overcome by evil. But he says, overcome evil with good. What if every time someone did evil to me, instead of provoking me to do evil, it provoked me to love? It provoked me to faith. It provoked me to turn my eyes to God. That's going to get pretty irritating to Satan, isn't it? (laughs) Because every time he tries to beat me down with evil, I triumph. I triumph over it by living out good. Tremendous challenge in this passage, isn't it? But it, but it really fills me with hope because I realize in my world, now in this whole world, I, you know, ultimately I know good is going to triumph. So in the whole world, it's a messed up world. And, you know, eventually, but it's not working out very well now. But in my world, even in the most evil situation, in my world, good can triumph. And when evil happens to me, and instead of reacting with evil, I react with good, and, I, and, and my good, or the good, triumphs over the evil. When that happens, are you ready for this? I have become a co-worker with God. You want to be a co-worker with God? You want to be on God's side? You want to be in His employ? You know, be working with him and what he's doing in the world. Isn't that what he's doing in the world? He has never yet been overcome by evil. Look at all the evil in the world. <laughs> We're going to talk about in the class I'm teaching starting tonight. We're going to talk about the problem of evil. It's a big problem. Okay? It's a big problem. It's got all kinds of problems. Intellectual problems, experiential, all kinds of problems. But never once has evil triumphed over God. And when I respond with love, when my enemy hurts me, I have become a co-worker with God. Well, next week we'll go on to that whole other side, the whole issue of authority and evil and all that sort of thing in chapter 13. So we are going to finally get to chapter 13. Okay?